0: In 1970, one of the uh, most famous commercials ever uh, dropped onto uh, program breaks across the country. Uh, Of course, it advertised very successfully a product, but it also advertised something that consumers cannot buy, that is wisdom. The 1970 version was actually truncated in 1984 to be a little bit shorter, but the 1970 version is much more clever and much more humorous. A young boy is curious about how many licks it's going to take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop because he wants to know how long is he going to have to eat this thing. And uh, he first goes up to a cow and he asks Mr. Cow... How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? And the cow answers him by saying, I don't know, I always end up biting. Ask Mr. Fox. He's much cleverer than I. So he goes to Mr. Fox, who's sitting on this boulder, and asks him the same questions. And Mr. Fox uh, replies, uh, he would say, oh, Why don't you ask Mr., uh, Mr. Turtle, for he's been around a lot longer than I. Me? <laughs> I just bite so the kid goes to uh, the turtle and asks the same question and mr turtle says to him well i've never even made it before without biting go ask mr owl he's wiser than us all and so owls are of course a symbol of wisdom so he would be one to go to and he certainly shows his conventional wisdom when the boy asks the repetitive question and the owl says oh that's a good question and let's find out and he Steals the sucker from the kid, starts licking it, counting down, one, two, three. Remember this commercial? Crunch. And he uh, says, three. And then he gives the kid an empty sucker stick, and he's left to, to, to go home. And uh, the kid in the 1970s version, it, it ends in, in the most hilarious way. He gets the empty sucker, and he walks away, and he says, if there's anything I can't stand, it's a smart owl. I <laughs> mean, it's fantastic. You don't, you don't get that on the 1984 version. You know, such wisdom is not appreciated in this world. The owl knew that in order to truly find out how many licks it's going to take, the only way to figure that out is through experience. You have to go and actually do it. You have to get to that point. You're never going to know anything unless you, you try it. And so this owl is very shrewd uh, in his wisdom, and he knew how to take advantage of an opportunity. The kid was curious, the owl got a free sucker out of it, and the kid went home without a sucker and without answers. And so it's, it's absolutely genius. Uh, and wisdom is funny like that, Uh, Wisdom can be a joy and a benefit for those who have it, and it can be a complete annoyance for those who lack it. In Mark chapter 12, we're getting towards the end of a long discourse in which the religious leaders are desperately trying to trip Jesus up, to get him to stumble in some sort of a way that they can finally get him, make him look like a fool, put him away, and so that they can also be seen as wise. However, with every question that they ask Jesus time and time again, he answers with such wisdom that they are unable to even uh, retort anything or even ask him another question. They're out of words and out of wits, and so now Jesus turns the table on them, and the interrogated becomes the interrogator, and uh, we are left with, as observers of this passage, to recognize our own foolishness And find wisdom, true wisdom, in and only in Jesus Christ. So if you're in Mark chapter 12, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, Read along with me here as I read uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he asked, How can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself says, By the Holy Spirit, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can, they, how then can he be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. Friends, Proverbs chapter 3 in verses 13 through 14 tells us that happy is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she, being wisdom, is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. And so what we find here in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, is that if you hear the words of Jesus this morning, you will have a richer treasure than the fortune of Jeff Bezos. You will have life. And so first, we must strive to know where true wisdom is found. We must strive to know where we can find wisdom. This little boy in the Tootsie Pop commercial uh, was desperately trying to find someone with an answer to his burning question and instead it just left him burned and without a sucker. And it namely because he was asking the wrong person. Wisdom is not found in wise old Mr. Owl. Likewise, many of us, day in and day out, are desperately trying to find wisdom, and we have gotten burned doing so. Your education might make you smarter, but your education is never going to make you more wise. You're, you may watch the news in order to make you more informed or more misinformed, depending on how you look at it. Uh, Your experiences, but it it won't make you wise. Your experiences might make you more street smart, but it will not make you wise. Our lack of wisdom has led to an epidemic of spiritual depression. It has left us tired and weary. It's left us lost and, and, and desperate for meaning And yet we keep hoping that this next season of life, that this new drug, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, this relationship, this experience, this class, this certificate, this degree, this philosophy will make us wise when time and time again we are left wondering if there is any true wisdom in this world at all. And in our passage, Jesus very subtly, but clearly, points us to where wisdom can be found. If you find it and delight in it, your search is over. You have found it. In verse 35, Jesus says, How can the scribes say the Messiah is the son of David? David himself says, by the Holy Spirit, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet did you catch it? Like I said, it's very, very subtle. But it's there. Verse 36, notice that Jesus quotes from Psalm 110. Psalm 110, here's a little fact in case you're ever on Jeopardy and they ask you the question, what is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament? It is Psalm 110. So, there you go. Jesus quotes from Psalm 110. And in Psalm uh, 110, Just before verse 1, there's this little uh, sentence that says, A psalm of David. It points to the authorship of this particular psalm. This psalm is written by King David of Israel. He's the greatest king that Israel had ever uh, known. And here Jesus affirms the Davidic authorship. David himself says... In Jesus' omniscient, divine, God-filled mind, David wrote Psalm 110. But David was not the only one who wrote it. Notice that Jesus goes on to say, David himself says, by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus here is affirming that the psalm was not only penned by a human— but it was also superseded or guided or inspired by God himself. This is affirmed throughout the New Testament uh, in places like 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says all Scripture is inspired by God, meaning that the Scripture that comes out, expired from God, comes from within. It's something like air that he breathes that was blown out, and then the writers were writing it. Inspired by God, it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Second Peter 1, verses 20 through 21, Peter says, above all, so everything he has said prior to this, above that, know that no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, but prophecy, no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." That word carried along is a nautical term. It is a, a term that is usually used in the context of wind blowing a sailboat. Yes, a rudder can direct it, but it's not going to get anywhere unless there's wind. And Peter is saying that that is how the Old Testament writers came uh, with what they were writing. They were being carried along, they're being blown along by the Holy Spirit. So what we must conclude here is that Jesus is affirming that what we have in front of us in the Bible is nothing less than the very words of God. It's not as if this becomes God when we encounter it or interpret it. That's a wrong way of looking at it. This here is literally God's word. It is affirmed not only throughout the New Testament, but it is unequivocally affirmed by Jesus Christ himself. And if this is God's word, then where else do you and I need to go to find wisdom? If this is God's word, what experience do you or I need to find life? If this is God's Word, what drug or substance could we possibly use to either supplement or substitute God's Word? If this is the God of the universe writing to us, what level of education could you possibly strive for when God's Word is given to us to be understood by both children and adults alike? Where are you searching right now to find life and peace? Every other path is a dead end. You might start walking down the street thinking that it is an outroad, but then only get to the end and see you have to turn around and go back. There is nothing in this world that is more important in life than gaining wisdom found in the Bible. The question is, are you searching for it? There is true life to be found. There is grace to be found. There's forgiveness and peace and understanding available for you right now, all attested to you, in God's Word. So why is God's Word important? Well, because the Scriptures, the Bible, God's Word, continually points us to the one in whom wisdom is personified. And so that leads us to our second point, is that we need to trust in the one in whom true wisdom is personified. Trust in him who is wisdom. As I mentioned before, this passage is found in a much larger uh, context within the gospel of Mark. Uh, It is taking place uh, within what we would typically call Holy Week. Uh, Jesus had just days before entered into Jerusalem riding on a a donkey, which was universally understood by the Jewish folks to be a prophecy in which the, the promised king from long ago was coming into the holy city. Uh, just a, a, uh, a day prior to our passage, Jesus was in the temple, and he saw that there were people that were making profit off of the worship of God, and also people who were uh, blocking Gentiles from being able to worship God. And Jesus went in, and he was flipping tables in order to restore right worship and right finance to God's house so in the uh, you can imagine that in the mindset of the Jewish leaders on top of everything else that they had been grumpy about what Jesus was doing these last couple days had intensified it significantly he had blasphemed and he had perverted the the, the prophecies by walking or coming into Jerusalem on a donkey he had disrupted the local economy by tipping these tables over and he was letting these Gentiles in to worship, and to uh, a Jew at that time, a, a Gentile, would be nothing uh, nothing less than a dog or, or, or a pig. And now in this section, they're desperately trying to get Jesus to slip, to make some sort of gaffe that they would be publicly able to arrest him and call for his execution. But as the conversation goes on, there's no such gaffe, and there's Uh, that came from Jesus' only wisdom that leads them speechless. And so now here, uh, Jesus turns to Psalm 110 to show how the scribes in particular aren't skilled to do what they are trained to do, to know and interpret the sacred writings for the people. Notice in verse 35, it says that while Jesus was teaching in the temple. So pause there for, for, for just a moment. Notice that it says that Jesus... Was teaching the masses at the temple. This is not some synagogue. This is not some small church in in, in some rural Podunk town. This is like preaching at the the Papal Basilica of St Peter at the Vatican. This is a big deal, especially in light of the week that Jesus has has had at uh, so far this week. His audience that was there was there for Passover, which was the biggest week of the Jewish calendar. This is a big deal. This wasn't a conversation between him and the scribes. It it was him doing exactly what I am doing right now. And so if he were to call anyone out, it would surely garner attention. And indeed he does. Notice that he accuses the scribes of being theological slouches. The scribes, again, are the lawyers and the seminary professors that are in their ivory towers that are supposed to know these things back and forth. Lawyers today might not get a good reputation, but back in Jesus' day, uh, the scribes were revered in their, their knowledge. They knew scriptures inside and out. Even so, Jesus here says in verse 35, how can the scribes, the wise ones, the academians, say that? The Messiah is the son of David. For David himself says, by the Holy Spirit, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, to get to the bottom of what Jesus is saying, we have to do a little bit of uh, language exploration. And I know that some of you don't particularly like English class, but I'm going to try to make it as spicy as I can here. In every translation, the word Lord is used twice. The Lord said to my Lord. But in the original Hebrew that Jesus and all of his contemporaries would have been familiar with actually used two different words. The first word that he used uh, would have been the name Yahweh. This is the holy name of God that was given to Moses uh, at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. The second word for Lord is the word Adonai, uh, which was, uh, would have been understood as a noble term. It would have been used for, for a king. You know, we see this all the time in British culture. I don't know if any of you watch Downton Abbey or anything like that, but everybody's always calling each other Lord. Oh, yes, my Lord. I'll get done with that right away, my Lord. That is what that second term is referring to, is that sort of dignitary. And so, right away, We see that the Jewish leaders here at the time would have recognized that this was referring to uh, the Davidic king, whoever was on the throne of the Davidic line, essentially David's son. That is who they were looking for. And over time, and especially when there was no longer a king in Israel, the idea of David's son. Being the king somehow morphed into the idea that the one that Psalm 110 is looking forward to is Messiah, that he is the anointed one, the promised king. So, with that in mind, we could uh, reword Psalm 110 to say, Yahweh declared to my king. But again, who is writing this? It's David, right? But yet David is saying that Yahweh declared something to his king. Well, if David is the ultimate king, who is he talking about here? He could not be talking about anyone other than God himself who is his king. It can't be his son in that traditional sense. So now you can see the corner that Jesus is pushing the scribes into. This Lord, this Adonai, will in fact be a son of David, but he will be much more than that. He will be the son of David, and he will be the son of God, truly man and truly God. And with that, Jesus outs himself as the one in whom Psalm 110 is pointing towards. He is Messiah. He is the Anointed One. He is Yahweh and Adonai. And as he teaches the masses at the temple, he is inherently asking them if the scribes, the wise ones, the teachers, the academians, the lawyers, if they can't even interpret a simple text like Psalm 110, why are you going to them for your wisdom? Why are you looking to them? Why are you entrusting your soul to their faulty intellect? And he is telling you and he's telling me as observers here that we should come to him and find wisdom. Come to me, he says, and find life. Abandon all of those things that promise life and freedom and wisdom and come to me. I am everything, Jesus says, that the word of God is is pointing to, by trusting in me, you will be wise unto salvation. By trusting in me, you will have rest for your weary soul. By trusting in me, you will have life. Friends, this Jesus is wisdom embodied, and he is calling you to himself. Will you abandon all of those false philosophies and wisdoms and follow him? We should trust in the one in whom true wisdom is personified. And third and finally, we should orient our hearts to delight in Jesus. True wisdom. I've had the pleasure of sitting in uh, quite a few academic debates. Um, I've seen really smart people on two sides of the fence argue it out. I've seen people debate the existence of God. I've seen people debate the historical Jesus. And uh, after seeing the debates that I have, I'm convinced that they're not particularly helpful. Why? There might be one or two people that are there to really gain some insight. But for the most part, people just show up to see their camp and to support their tribe. They're not there to be won over by anything. They're there to cheer when someone gets a zinger or get upset when someone gets zinged? Is that, is that a right term? I don't know. Um, I get video suggestions on YouTube all the time with titles like, watch Jordan Peterson destroy this journalist's agenda with his logic. You know, and it's, it's clickbait, right? You know, things like, watch Ben Shapiro destroy this person. Uh, you know, and I say to my own shame that those types of videos are are, are such clickbait for me. And I wish that I could say that I do that to learn the value of someone else's opinion that is radically different than mine. I do want to have that be part of who I am. I wish that I could say that I I, I watch those things to sharpen my understanding and my skill in dialoguing with people who uh, don't agree with me or whom I am, am, am on totally opposite ends of the spectrum with. But if i'm completely honest i am far more drawn into the clips where my guys and gals are making verbal mincemeat of their opponents and i say that to my shame i don't say that in any sort of prideful way i would never click on a video that would ti- that would be titled something like watch jordan peterson get completely destroyed in his logic because we we, we tend to cheer on our tribe we tend to cheer on our camp Far too often, we only play to win. And at this point in Holy Week, Jesus is absolutely wildly popular. He has healed the sick, He has raised the dead, He has Exercise demons. He, uh, his name is famous throughout the land. His entrance into Jerusalem was, uh, was just totally classic. People were throwing their, uh, their palm branches before him. This is the king that they've been waiting for for centuries. Uh, his popularity was just huge. They were all in at this point, and uh, this was the chosen one that they had looked forward to, so you can imagine their mindsets. His reputation grew even more when he entered into the temple and flipped tables. I mean, imagine if some guy came in here and started flipping all the chairs around. I mean, that would catch your attention. And so here, we find a Jesus that was fighting for the little guy. And after a lengthy grilling, Jesus now shows that his wisdom exceeds that of Solomon. He is making the leaders who are spiritual oppressors look like absolute fools. It's like they are watching a real-life YouTube video that says, watch Jesus destroy the Jewish leaders with his impeccable logic. And what's the result? Verse 37b tells us, and the large crowd was listening to him with delight. Be careful when you read that verse. There's a verse in Proverbs, I don't have it on the screen, that says, Don't gloat when your enemies fall, or the Lord may just uphold him and essentially the tables be turned. Don't let your brain believe that Mark is describing something good. He's not. This passage is an indictment on the crowd just as much as it is on the leaders. And if we're not careful, we're going to fall into the same trap that this large crowd does. Why? Because. They are going directly for the clickbait. They are not interested in who Jesus is. They are not interested in His wisdom. They are interested in His ability to cut the scribes and the Pharisees down to size. They are interested in uh, they're, uh, <laughs> they are not interested in Him as Messiah. They're interested in flowing with the waves by which power runs. And right now, the wave, Jesus is, is riding the wave of power. But in just a few short days, that wave is going to ebb and it's going to go back to the Jewish leaders. And we'll find here in the, in the following weeks and as we go through this, that they turn very quickly. In just a few days at this incident where these people are delighting in the wisdom of Jesus will be screaming at Pontius Pilate to put that man on the cross. So we need to be careful where our motivations come come from. And so this text forces us to come face-to-face with some important and possibly uncomfortable questions. Do you delight in Jesus? If so, why? Why? Is it for social reasons, meaning that you're a Christian simply because it brings you a social position or a platform or or friends? If so, is it Jesus that you delight in, or is it social status? Do you delight in Jesus because of what he has given to you, a career, a family, or a life that has been relatively spared from suffering? If so, are you truly delighting in Jesus? Or delighting in his gifts? Do you delight in Jesus because you're convinced that he would line up with your political viewpoint? If so, is it Jesus that you are truly delighting in, or are you more interested in your political camp being in charge? Do you delight in Jesus because his morals line up with yours? And if so, Is it truly Jesus that you are delighting in? Or is it feeling good about yourself as a person? I could go on and on with countless questions. But the point is, is that we need to examine our hearts. We need to examine our motives to see if it is really Jesus that we're delighting in or something that... We delight in more, and we just tag Jesus' name onto it. There's nothing in your life that you do that is not motivated in some way by something. And our job is to use some mental and, and heart energy to see where our delight truly Is our delight can only be in Jesus' person and work. And it takes uh, a, a daily, sometimes moment by moment, reorienting of our hearts in order to do this. We have to choose over and over and over and over again to delight in Jesus. And I'm sorry to say that this isn't something that you can arrive at and then just move on. This will be a daily struggle every single day until you're with the Lord in glory. That is our lot. The pressure to delight in worldly things is that strong. And as disheartening as that, heartening as that could be, we have to realize that it's not. Why? Because Jesus has promised that he will be with us to the end of the age, that he will neither leave us nor forsake us. That Jesus has enabled us with spiritual power to choose him day in and day out because when we trust in him, his spirit lives in us and his spirit empowers us to this end. So take an inventory of your heart and see where is your delight. What is it, that it delights in, and then reorient that into delighting in Jesus. You know, that old Tootsie Pop commercial still brings a smile to my face whenever I think about it. I, I must have watched it at least a half a dozen times this week. That poor little boy just wanted to, to know how long it's going to take him to get to the prize. But every direction that he turned was met with disappointment and redirection. Until he was left without a sucker at all, going home and complaining. Friends, don't let that commercial advertise your life. You may be going from place to place, ideology to ideology, philosophy to philosophy, relationship to relationship, job to job, whatever it is, and you just keep getting shuffled to the next thing that you think is going to be the next best only to find that those things can't deliver. There's only one that you can go to that will never disappoint you. There's only one that you can go to to find wisdom and purpose and meaning. There's only one that can absolve your conscience and provide freedom from sin. There's only one that can give you true life, and his name is Jesus, and he is calling you friends. Go to Jesus.